This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. Tom Sullivan lost his best friend, his son, in the 2012 Aurora Theater shooting. When Sullivan takes his seat as a new state representative next month, he wants people to remember every day what happened to his family. Sullivan is a Democrat from the Denver suburb of Centennial, where his son Alex grew up. Welcome to the program. Thank you. At what point would you say politics first entered your mind? Probably around Thanksgiving time of 2015. Trial was over. So then it was, what's the next step? You know what? I need to talk more than the 90 seconds that they allow me to. I have to make sure that I can do more than a letter to the editor. I need to be out in front. And so then it was, who do I got to talk to? Because I'm going to run for one of these seats. It was about having your voice heard. Having my voice heard and speaking for the people that I felt weren't being heard. Survivors, victims, parents, sons, daughters. And if their voices weren't being heard, why was that? Were they being drowned out? Were they not being listened to? Being ignored. You know, I would go down to the state capitol. They can maybe look at us for that day when we're there to testify. But then the other 119 days, they didn't have to bother. Well, now you know what? You're going to have to have to see me for 120 days because I'm going to be there every day. That's the length of this session in Colorado. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about Alex, maybe a few of your favorite memories. Oh, he was my best friend. Um, you know, you just could share everything with him. And he had, you know, he had some of my qualities, but he had, you know, all of his, all of his best qualities were from his mom, you know, empathy, <laughs> compassion, all of that. So, and it was always so great to be with him because he had such a memory of places we had been and he would always be able to remember everybody's names and like remember their, you know, their moms or their dad's names and stuff. So, I would never have to because if you were with him, he would always be the one that could could tell you everybody's name. So if you just, you know, that's why you stayed with him was like, he'll help you. I have to think that you will carry these memories, these images with you to the floor of the house. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Speaking of the legislature, the focus of gun control efforts last year in the state capitol was a red flag bill. Uh, That would give judges the power to order someone's guns confiscated temporarily if they were shown to pose an immediate danger to themselves or others. That bill failed. You've said it is your top priority this year. Uh, This is a session in which Democrats will now have total control. Why do you believe in these firearms restraining orders? It saves lives. That's what this is all about. Suicide by gun is our number one reason for, you know, deaths here in the state of Colorado by by firearm. They are the ones who get harmed in this. You actually think of this as a bill that combats suicide as much as it does externalized violence. We had over 800 deaths last year in the state of Colorado by firearm. Over 600 of those were suicides. The extreme things like what happened to us, any of these shootings that happen, you know, downtown or, you know, domestic violence things, those are the extraordinary type things. Do you hope to name the bill for your son? No, no. I mean, because I, I'm, I'm not quite sure that this bill would have had anything to do with preventing what, what happened to Alex and the other 11 people that uh, were murdered in the theater that day. I mean, this was there was a lot of clandestine stuff that was going on that there were people who were who should have been aware 
and should have done something about it to the very end there where the doctor uh, from the Anschutz Center from CU Medical called his mother and told her that there was a problem. You're talking about uh, James Holmes, and and he had been under some psychiatric care leading up to the shooting. He was a student at Anschutz. It's fascinating for you to say that this bill is important to you, but it might not have changed the outcome of what happened to your family. Right. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's not about me. It's about the community that I live in. When we had Alex's funeral, it was at St. Michael's. And you could not squeeze another person in there. They were out in parking lots and, and outside. I when it, it, it was time to give Alex's eulogy, I walked up onto that stage and I said, give me a moment. And I kind of stood back and I looked from one end of the crowd all the way across to the other. And I mean, you know, the governor was there, the mayor was there, um, the chief of police, Alex's friends were there, the first responders were all there. And I thought to myself, you know, I don't know how and I don't know when. I said, but I will find a way to thank each and every one of these people who are here this day, who have been supportive of my family, who've shown us the empathy and compassion for us to be able to get through this. And I think this is how I can do it. Critics of the red flag bill make several arguments. I mean, they fear that it's open to abuse, that you could have somebody with an axe to grind, go to a judge and get somebody's gun taken away when it really isn't warranted. Uh, They also contend there's a constitutional argument that it might violate the Second Amendment. What would you say to that? That's why we're having the discussion. It needs to be written in such a way that people will actually use it the way that it's supposed to be used. We we know we passed the ban on high capacity magazines. And while we were in the Capitol passing that, there was a group of sheriffs standing outside that said, we're not going to follow it. We don't believe what that law says. So we need to craft this in such a way that everybody can do it. And And that you have the buy-in. Right, that you have the buy-in of everybody. It's interesting, the Republican that you defeated in the race had co-sponsored last year's red flag bill. Uh, the conservative Rocky Mountain Gun Owners Association campaigned against his reelection. They said that he voted like a gun-grabbing Democrat. In 2013, when Democrats passed gun control laws in response to the theater shooting, two of their members were recalled. Do you fear that some Democrats may hesitate to support legislation like this? Because they are sensitive to not overreaching with their majority. I'm still on the outside looking in. I've got a couple of more weeks of that. Um, you haven't been counting votes. No, in other words. No, no, yeah, right. I don't have to do any of that kind of stuff. But the conversations that I have been having with different members and, you know, lobbyists, people in the community, this is what we are going to do. And this is not an overreach. They've polled it two different times. It's somewhere between 75 and 85 percent of the people in Colorado back a system like the extreme risk protection order. So we were elected to go in there and govern. And that's what we're going to do. The prosecutor in the Aurora shooting case, George Brockler, sought the death penalty for the shooter. But the jury sentenced him to life in prison A bill to abolish the death penalty in Colorado is defeated in 2017. It could surface again this year. Where are you on that? I am a no vote on the flat out repeal. 
there's a lot of things wrong with it. But believe and with I, the death penalty. I with the death penalty, we know all of uh, and I would love to work with them on getting it fixed. It has to be the hardest thing for us to be able to come to a conclusion on. By all uh, measurements, that's already true in Colorado. There are so few people executed in this state. I'm not sure how many times they bring it up. I'm not, you know, maybe it doesn't need to come up, you know, that often. And maybe that's an, uh, a reason someone said, well, we don't use it now. Why should we have it? You know, that's like, well, you know, why do you have the car in the garage? You know, you, you take the bus every day. Maybe sometime I might have to. So, you know, go ahead and, and, and leave the car there. You want to make sure that that option at least exists in some form. You know, there are monsters that live amongst us and they have told us that they're monsters and they don't want to be a part of this society. And their sole goal is to cause chaos for our society. We as a society then should have the ability to take them out of our society uh, and because this is going to happen again. And I will not be the one to tell that family that they can't have what they want or what they see as justice or closure or finality in their case by asking for a death penalty. You've worked on gun control now for six plus years at the national and state levels. Are you frustrated more hasn't been done? I don't think frustration is the right term. Um, I, I think it's in some ways it's still kind of in its infancy. They're still trying to get their legs underneath of them. This whole um, movement, you think, is in its infancy. I mean, Moms Demand Action started after the Sandy Hook, you know, massacre, which this next Friday will be its sixth anniversary. So it's only six years old. In this country, social issues take a long time. There's we have made a lot of great strides and a lot of the great strides have been made here on local and state you know, levels. I hear you saying patience, Grasshopper, uh, to, to those who think this isn't moving fast enough. Right. OK. Uh, the first of these mass shootings, though, that really seemed to register with the public, of course, was Columbine here in Colorado. Where were you that day? I was uh, working at the post office and I was a special delivery messenger. So I, I was driving so I could have the radio on so mm. I could hear what was going on. Do you remember ever talking to your kids about it? Terry and I, my wife, you know, we got together and talked with them when they, you know, came home that night about it. And, I, you know, I explained to them that that would never happen to them. Wow. You, you've had a reckoning. Well, yeah. I think, I think I mean, the country has, too, along yeah. with you. Yeah, yeah. There are seniors in high school this year, okay, who have known nothing but mass shootings, school shootings, lockdown drills, all of that. That's been their lives. I think of the shooting in Las Vegas. More recently, of course, 58 people killed. I work with the American Postal Workers Union, and we were at a, a conference uh, just down the street at Bally's. Later on that evening, we saw something that indicated there had been a shooting on the Las Vegas Strip. Do you ever think, why does this issue keep touching me so closely? Is it just like the worst kind of chaos and randomness? Or do you feel like you're on a path? I, I don't know. I, how, do you, how do you think about that? There's, there's some of those things. Sometimes, you know, things happen to people because those are the people who can handle it. You know, it just gives me more. Is there the know. divine inherent in that? 
I'm not going to tell you I'm an overly religious person, mm-hmm. but there are times when it's like, is that what you're telling me? Is that is that the message that's coming to me? And so then you just keep doing what you have to do. You're not alone in the legislature having been the victim of gun violence. So I think of State Representative Rhonda Fields, a Denver Democrat whose son was murdered. I think of State Representative Patrick Neville, a student at Columbine when that shooting occurred. He's a Republican. Have you talked with them about these issues? Very closely with Rhonda Fields. She was a part of the 2013, getting those bills passed and then working each time to uh, make sure that they don't get repealed. As far as Patrick Neville, he's on the other side of the issue. So we don't have a lot to talk about. I mean, it's interesting with Patrick Neville that his experience at Columbine has led him to support arming teachers. I think the first... Order of business for any teacher would be to actually protect their students and and kind of gather them around like they do now in some of these drills and then lock the door. But if someone breaks through the door, then what? I mean, that's what what really freaks me out with my kids and hearing what the drills they go through and everything. If someone breaks through the door, then what? What do you think about that? I'm sorry, I don't agree. If more guns were the answer, we should be the safest place in the world. No one should be doing, you know, anything like what's happening here in our country. You must tell the story of what happened to your family. Would you say daily? Probably several times daily. It comes up in one way or another Uh and down at the Capitol even more. How do you deal with that? The fact that like... In a way, the the story is never put to bed. It's just, there it is. It gives me the opportunity to talk about Alex, which I love to do. And the other thing is just, once again, we need to remind these people. I can't possibly make you understand what it feels like to have lost a child. Okay, I I can't do it. So I just want you to see what it looks like. And I, I can do that. And that, it means I have to be in front of you. Thank you for being with us. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Democrat Tom Sullivan will join the State House of Representatives next month. He lives in Centennial, and he'll be the prime sponsor of a red flag gun bill in the next session. Colorado's Republicans are preparing for life in the political wilderness. The party lost the legislature and every statewide office in the midterms. But CPR's Sam Brash reports they're strategizing a path back to power. Republicans had a lot of tough defeats on election night. Maybe the most painful was losing their razor-thin majority in the state Senate. Jeff Hayes is the chairman for the state GOP. We felt like the state Senate was a backstop against all the wild pitches the Democrats tried to throw against us. Now that backstop is gone. And Democrats could be hurling everything from renewable energy mandates to oil and gas restrictions to a death penalty ban. But Hayes says that could actually be an opportunity for Republicans. It'll be interesting to see how the voters respond when the Democrats will inevitably overreach. I think the Republicans are going to work very well and and really hard to show the flaws and the fallacies in that socialist agenda. 
This is a familiar playbook for Colorado Republicans. They were in the same position in 2013. Democrats held both legislative chambers and the governor's office. They used that power to pass gun control bills, which the Republicans seized on to recall lawmakers and retake the state Senate the next year. But for that to work this time, Hayes says Republican lawmakers have to offer alternatives. It's critical that our legislature propose bills that are aimed at solving our most important problems in Colorado. Problems, Hayes says, like transportation, health care, and teacher pay. Michael Fields runs Colorado Rising Action, a conservative advocacy group. He agrees Republicans need their own policies, but they also have to do a better job selling them. The key is how you explain stuff. It's not just, no, this will ruin our state. This is always leading with opportunity and leading with people is what's going to make their arguments more effective. That's something Fields says Colorado Democrats are really good at. He thinks Republicans should do the same and focus on one group in particular, unaffiliated voters. Any candidate, I would just tell them, like, your goal is always to win unaffiliated voters and speak to those middle issues. And it's a clear strategy given the last election. Unaffiliated voters came out in record numbers, surpassing members of either party. Republicans are hoping that by 2020, those voters will be looking for a way to put a check on Democrats. I'm Sam Brash, CPR News. Forty years ago, people with disabilities started a national movement. They took to Denver streets to protest surrounding RTD buses to demand wheelchair-accessible public transit. We want to ride! We want to ride! We want to ride! That chant evolved into the group's rallying cry, We Will Ride. Hava and Andy Rosen of Schuyler, Nebraska, were there. I got out of my chair and laid down in front of the bus. And, uh, you know, we we decided at that point we were going to stay overnight and keep the buses overnight and uh, create that awareness. People weren't aware of anything about people with disabilities. We weren't even thought of. Hava and Andy both have cerebral palsy. Although they knew each other in 1978, they weren't a couple yet. Andy got Hava to join the protest that very day. I was scared because I had not ever done anything like that before. But it was exciting because I knew that I was doing something important and something of value. That group of protesters with disabilities became known as the Gang of 19. They stopped traffic at the corner of Colfax and Broadway for two days until RTD agreed to add wheelchair lifts to buses, the first public transit district in the country to do so. The bus blockade fired up the disability rights movement nationwide. We changed from being disabled people who couldn't do anything in society's eyes to people, disabled people that could do something and cause a political change. Well, eventually, a national network of activists formed called ADAPT. They sledgehammered concrete curbs to get attention for accessible sidewalks. They showed up at transportation board meetings carrying caskets to illustrate that they might be dead before changes were made. And they chained themselves to doors at fast food joints to get their voices heard. It blew me away. I mean, it literally blew me away. I couldn't believe that the system that's out there was what we started. Andy and Hava and the Gang of 19 inspired Jordan Sabayan of Denver to get involved in ADAPT. Jordan, welcome to the program. 
Thank you for having me on. I think you're, you're 26. This protest happened 40 years ago before you were born. How did you feel when you first heard about what they'd done in Denver? It was very eye-opening to me. Um, when I first heard about the Gang of 19 and ADAPT, um, I was just about to graduate high school. I had met one of the local organizers, Don Russell, um, at an event talking about the paratransit service, um, Accessoride. Um, and I was invited to go to the Atlantis Community um, Inc., which is the independent living center that's ADAPT's mother organization, as as we like to call it. Okay. We met at the Atlantis Community Building, and it was amazing to see all the news articles about the bus block and going after the fast food restaurants like you, you'd explained and Hava and Andy uh, spoke with you about. Um, and just it, it felt very empowering, and I felt empowered in a way that I, I hadn't before. Um, Say more about that. Empowered in a way you hadn't before. Well, um, growing up, I, I was always um, made to feel that I, I could do anything that I wanted. Um, when I was younger, I was actually um, on oxygen, so I had a portable tank. So when I was at McDonald's or whatever other fast food restaurant and I wanted to go play in the ball pit, my mom would just tell me, you you take your oxygen tank and bring it with you and you go do what you want to do. Um, but up to that point, I'd never thought, you know, that getting together in a group of people of your peers and doing something like laying in front of a bus or chaining yourself to a door and kind of the, the fallout from that, I you know, I just watched the uh, articles on the wall show this domino effect of... First it was Denver, then it was Baltimore, then it was Austin, Texas, and on and on and on. It was just very it was very eye opening and that's that's what empowered me is kind of that that change in our country. Uh, did you get into the ball pit, by the way? Uh, I'm pretty sure I did, okay. and the oxygen tank uh, <laughs> stayed safely outside the ball. Safely outside. But it strikes me that that's a very individual endeavor, right? The kind of gumption that it takes to get into the ball pit uh, and that you saw in ADAPT a community that had come together around activism. So what does it mean to be a part of ADAPT now? What do you most hope to change today? I most hope to uh, change people's outlook even more um we i want us to be fully integrated into society and i want what i i live right now i have um i have my own home um i'm married and i have a job in retail and i want those same things for everybody in the United States uh, with a disability. Where do you see that not happening? In other words, what needs to change to achieve that? So right now there's actually a, um, there's still an institutional bias um, wherein anybody with a disability is guaranteed a bed in a nursing home. And we're trying to fight that um, in many different ways. A lot of it was access for transportation, access for affordable, accessible, integrated housing. And we're also fighting for the right to have attendant care in our own homes. That is, you're fighting against the idea that you have to be, uh, for lack of a better term, institutionalized. Correct. Is that right? That is correct. You think that's too much of a default these days? 
I I believe so. Um, they're like I said, we're guaranteed a bed in a nursing home. Um, and to get out of that is something that I want to see change, you know, fully. We've come a long way with uh, the introduction of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, and we're trying to come even closer to that dream uh, with the Disability Integration Act. In Congress. In Congress, in yes. In particular. Yes. Uh, I want to talk about your relationship with, with Congress and members of the delegation, because last year you were arrested during an ADAPT demonstration at Senator Cory Gardner's office. Uh, you streamed your own arrest to Facebook Live. So I'm giving you your last warning. Okay, if you do not move over to the sidewalk there, then I'm going to arrest you for trespassing. Okay. Okay. Do you want to move? You're under arrest. Okay. Take him on down. What was the nature of that protest, and do your concerns continue? At the time, um, there was a big push in Congress um, to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare. Um, There is a lot of... want to say, you know, there's a lot of pieces in Obamacare and the Affordable Care Act that have to do with Medicaid and ensuring services for people with disabilities, attendant care, um, access to durable medical equipment, wheelchairs, scooters, walkers, uh, drugs that we need to survive. Were you afraid that that might be lost? Yes. We, I, I was afraid. We were all very afraid. And, you know, the things that we need to survive day-to-day, attending care, drugs, um, our medical equipment that was kind of in the line of fire in that effort to repeal um, Obamacare. So, How confident are you today that those will remain in place? I'm very confident. Um, we showed our power as, as an organization and as a community um, to fight for those things and to, the right to keep those things. I understand that you just recently had a little bit of time with Senator Gardner, something that you'd been hoping to do. Uh, just tell us briefly about the circumstances. Correct. Um, this past week, we attended a holiday party hosted by Senator Cory Gardner. Uh, we brought him a card uh, to show him that he is the only member of the Colorado delegation to not sign on to the Disability Integration Act. Uh, we have all of the members of the Colorado uh, Federal House, um, Diana DeGette, uh, Perlmutter, Buck, Tipton, everyone. Republicans and, and Democrats. Republicans also. and yeah. De- yeah, that's one. That's something very important that I want people to know is that it's um, got support on both sides of the aisle, very bipartisan. And to show them that he is the last person um, and we want... 100% completion. We want him to champion this bill. And we want him to be the first Republican in the Senate to co-sponsor this bill. Did he make any commitments? He did not make an, a, a commitment. Um, one of his staff members, Andy Merritt, um, agreed to speak to the senator to try to secure a meeting for us. And we're very hopeful that he will pull through on that promise. So let me contrast what we heard in that tape uh, where you were being arrested with the interaction you had recently there at the at the Brown Palace and, and say that I, I imagine some listening might think, uh, why not go through through legal means to speak to your senator? Uh, talk to me about the, the, the different tools there. Sure. So when we first approach um, 
be it a, a senator or a congressperson yeah. or any official that we you know has the power to make the change that we need. Uh, we'll meet with you. We'll go through those channels. We'll meet a few times. Um, but if we're continually ignored and kind of pushed aside, then we have to uh, deal with you in a way that kind of brings more urgency to the situation, such as occupying your office for about three days. You're listening to Colorado Matters. I'm Ryan Warner, and we're speaking with Jordan Sabayan. He's a Denver member of ADAPT, this national activist group that started in Denver 40 years ago to try to get access to public transportation. And Jordan, before we wrap up, I, I, I want to return to the idea of, of mobility and of transit uh, and say that, you know, RTD continues to make changes to make itself more accessible. Sometimes that's of its own volition. Sometimes that's because of lawsuits. But h- how would you rate Denver's transit system today for those with disabilities? As far as using the, the paratransit service Accessoride, um, it's not very dynamic, and that's one of the things that we hope to change. Not um, dynamic. Give me an instance in your well, life. Right. Well, for instance, getting to the studio today, yep. um, we had to call uh, the day before, so that'd be yesterday, Sunday, and we had to let them know, you know, we needed to be at this studio at 10 in the morning. And so they did their thing on their end, and their computer generated a time of, we're going to pick you up between 7.45 and 8.15. Okay. And, of course, that window is very vague. They could pick you up within that window or any time after. Uh, we got picked up near the end of the window almost at uh, 8.15, 8.20. Um, you know, and it's a shared ride service, uh, much like any other uh, cab company or Uber Lyft, but... Like I said, it's not very dynamic. I can't call in the morning for a ride for two hours later with Accessoride. So that's kind of one of the hurdles that I personally have to have to jump. And so does my uh, my wife and anybody using the paratransit service. Thanks for sharing this history and your experience with us. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Thank you very much. Jordan Sabayan of Denver is a member of ADAPT. The activist group started in Denver 40 years ago to try to get access to public transportation. After a break, kid astronaut. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. Hey, I'm Jesse Witten from Colorado Public Radio's Open Air and one of the hosts of our brand new podcast, The Playlist League. What I love about this is it takes something as beautifully subjective and personal as music and makes it into a battle royale. It's a music conversation, but done competitively as we draft playlists song by song according to a theme each month. So if you like music discovery, bloodthirsty competition, or even just a fun casual hang session with some fellow music lovers, check out the Playlist League from CPR's Open Air. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. Now we take a trip to a place called Fort Roy at Royville, population one. It's near Sawatch in Colorado's San Luis Valley. It's where Roy L. Smith lives, also known as Ramblin' Roy. CPR arts reporter Stephanie Wolf tells us he's overcome racial discrimination and a devastating fire and funneled all that into art. This thing that Smith calls Fort Roy at Royville is a maze-like structure that twists and turns upon itself, rising up from the alkaline flats in the valley. Why don't we just go this way and we'll come out that way? Garlands of aluminum cans wind around the wooden skeleton of this place, 
There are swaths of shimmering tinsel draped from tall posts. And hodgepodges of tchotchkes are everywhere. Buttons, coins, and small toys glued onto strips of wood leaning against structures. I just get out there and start putting stuff together. And whatever come look like, it's going to be nice, I figured. I just got that in my heart that it's going to come out nice. There's a different force behind some of the work he exhibited at the Range Artist Space in Sawatch this summer. The fire back in February, where exactly was it? Right here, right where you see them posted. Let, we'll walk over there. Smith points to a burnt area of his art compound. A fire earlier this year torched his bus, beloved truck, and parts of Fort Roy at Royville. Yet this destruction also led to creation. Charred bits of action figures, VHS tapes, even a camera fused onto strips of ashen wood. Art made itself. Now, I didn't do nothing to it. It just a fire made it go the way it wanted it. The fire also brought up memories of Smith's painful past. I'm born in Gunnison, Mississippi, but I don't like to say that because I don't stay around that long. Too much racism. He was born in 1946. He says he witnessed the KKK physically and verbally attack black people. His mother encouraged him to leave and see the world. He was about seven. I was a hobo kid, rode the train, and I did that, and I got tired of riding the train, and I went uh, stowaway and on ships, and I went everywhere the ships went. The people he met during his travels taught him how to play the guitar. I'm leaving this town. It's been bad for me. Smith came to Colorado in the mid-1960s. He says he wandered around the state performing his music and settled in Gilpin County in the 70s. Roy Smith wanted nothing more than a simple, peaceful life. He thought he had found that in the majestic mountains of Colorado. But the beauty surrounding him was no match for the ugliness he encountered there. This is a clip from a story ABC News did on Smith. It outlines some of the discrimination he faced from white neighbors, including being attacked by dogs and nearly being run over. He reported these incidents to law enforcement, but it did no good. It was later revealed that the sheriff's office entered Smith into their database using a racial slur. Smith sued the county and received a $700,000 settlement in 1997. Smith believes the fire at Royville was also racially motivated, though the sheriff's office says it found no evidence of arson. Poet and University of Southern California English professor Mark Irwin recently saw Smith's work for the first time at Sawatch Artist Space The Range. The sculptures formed in the fire particularly struck him. These distressed materials, the melted coins, the melted metal, the melted plastic, creates an amalgam that is like a testament of his own personal history. Irwin thinks Smith has a remarkable intuition as an artist, one that also reflects his resilience. Most people would have thrown all this away, but he's from the complete destruction of his life, he's like a phoenix, kind of risen out of the ashes and created, you know, artwork from it. To find something beautiful in that ugliness is amazing. The Range helped publish a new book about Smith's art. It's called Last Train for Freedom, Leave in Town. Smith has high hopes for how his art can move people. Because i like them to see it, that they might be doing something negative in life and decide, hey... I want to do something nice, some art. Why be a negative and hatred and mean? Go do some art. He says that's exactly how it works for him. I'm Stephanie Wolf, CPR News. It didn't take long for John Shockness's music career to take off. As a member of the Denver hip-hop band Air Dubai, 
He got radio airplay around the country, had music featured on MTV and VH1, and traveled with the Warped Tour in 2014. Shockness has since launched a solo career as Kid Astronaut. And early next year, he's leaving Denver for London to become an international touring artist. Before he crosses the pond, Kid Astronaut plays a farewell show at Denver's Globe on December 12th, and he joins us today. John, welcome to the program. Thank you. Welcome. This is such a sexy song. Let's just hear a little bit more of it. Why not? Your music career started early. You were producing your own albums in high school. Yeah. How were you able to do that? Um, So I went to Denver School of the Arts. Um, It was actually right around the time that DSA moved to a new building, and they had just outfitted it with a studio. Um, So myself and my friends who were interested in making our own music instantly took that opportunity, and we commandeered that space. (laughs) Um, I don't think anyone else was in there. While we were working there. So. Was that the first studio you had stepped into? That was not. Okay. Um, was actually, it the nicest? It, uh, <laughs> that's, that's debatable. Um, I, I, re- I recorded my first song at seven years old, actually. Oh, my goodness. Um, so I've been making music a long time. But as far as making my own and producing my own, yeah. What was the seven-year-old thing? Oh, gosh. Um, I don't even want to. Um, it's, it's embarrassing. It was, it was like a children's song. It was like something that my mom like put together and she was so like stoked to find the other artist. And I like wrote the lyrics to it, but it was like based on a children's prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. It's cute. Um, I'll put it on the internet at some point. It sounds lovely. Yeah. Would you sing just a little bit of it? It went, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Yes. Yeah, I can't believe you'd be the least bit embarrassed about it. It's the loveliest I, thing I've heard yes. all day. Uh, I'll have to put it online. What mistakes were you able to make in high school or what big lessons did you learn that I, I imagine other artists don't encounter till much later if they don't have access to, to what you had? Yeah, DSA was such a uh, great ground for trial and error, I want to say. Um a lot of it just is is that confidence, that initial confidence to put your own music out and to have people say, like, I don't like this or I like this one. Um, but I think I've always, like, been uh, pretty naturally attracted to music. So I think it was nice to just gain that confidence of being able to share something. It sounds like you developed a thick skin. Um, working on it. Yeah, <laughs> I have. You know, Even I today. Have, yeah, I have my uh, my days, so. It's so hard to have a thick skin with social media. I think mm. people can be so nasty. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's it's uh, everyone wants to create and everyone's working their hardest and everyone's trying to do something unique. So when you're putting yourself out there, you kind of open yourself up to people saying, like, this doesn't work for me. Um, but you as an artist, 
I hope that most artists are able to find within themselves why they do it. And I think that's kind of what pushes me forward. Okay, so let's do a little bit of... Uh, John Shockness, this is your life. You formed Air Dubai with your high school classmate Julian Church. Yep. And that band released two albums, most recently, I think, 2014's Be Calm. Before you knew it, Air Dubai was playing Red Rocks, traveling with Warped Tour. It's a big American rock tour. And labels were paying attention. What was that like as such a young artist? Um, I think it was always kind of our goal. Um, We always wanted to expand outside of Denver. And as Air Dubai, we kind of pushed ourselves to be someone that um, wasn't just a Denver-known band. Um, And I still think with Kid Astronaut, you know, moving to London... um, I have that drive to just grow, Um, but also staying really grounded here. Like I love Denver and I'll always be a Denver artist. So this is, this is definitely my home. And I think a lot of my art is influenced by being from Denver as well. Um, But I think those opportunities were just like, you know, as, as artists, we wanted to, to reach those heights. Was there any risk that you would become kind of the, uh, fallen child star like that you mm. had peaked too soon um, I think just because everything continues to just be so much about taking risks and so much about changing the atmosphere and changing the music and even starting Kid Astronaut um, from from Air Dubai kind of allowed me to have the space where I wasn't just running into the same patterns and, and relying on the same laurels right it wasn't like you had one sitcom as a kid (laughs) and never moved on from it. I want to just note one thing about uh, what I hear in both Air Dubai and in Kid Astronaut, which is uh, a really rare combination of something that can sound sultry and passionate, but also driving. Hmm. And I don't think of those as qualities that are often together in a song. Totally. Yeah, man, it it comes from my love of Actually, punk music, like Warp Tour, was huge for me. Just seeing the artists on stage. And um, there's an artist from Denver, Chain Gang of 1974. He's moved to L.A. now. But one of my first shows at the Marquee Theater was him playing guitar. And he cut his finger and he's like starts bleeding on his white shirt. And I was just like, yes, like there's so much passion and so much love in his music. And I, I think I've just taken that energy into everything I do now. My goodness. Not to necessarily bleed, but okay. You know, Monarch is, is half pizza joint, half underage club. You didn't have to be 21 to get into Monarch. No, no. Uh, Marquee. No, Marquee. Marquee. Yes. Yeah, no. I'm, no, we, I'm, were, we, were, uh, we were able to get in there. <laughs> and that was one of the first Air Dubai shows opening for Chain Gang. Air Dubai was enjoying a lot of success, but you left the band in 2015 to set off, indeed, on your own career as Kid Astronaut. That name always brings a smile to my face. It reminds me of, like, a kid who goes to NASA camp. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> That's great. Uh, what was behind the decision to move on, though? Um, 
Just wanting to grow and not be stuck. Um, I think at the time, I remember we were having conversations about, you know, we felt like we had reached this point, and I think we were not really feeling the same passion and drive behind it. So we actually broke up, and then we released two other songs after we split as Air Dubai. So it was always about the passion and always about, like, people still love Air Dubai's music, and I think that's why. Were you getting along, though? Yeah, totally. So totally. it wasn't... Yeah, no, it wasn't like... That there was some disharmony. No, 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 no. It was just like, what do we want to do as artists and who do we want to be and what's our legacy more than anything else? Well, why don't we hear one of your early solo songs as Kid Astronaut? This is Elevate. Yeah. And I know that we were made to be special, yeah. And I know that we were made so that's from the 2015 EP Moon Theory. You uh, you move to your own music still. Like, each time we play a song in the studio, no one can see this, but your head is going up and down. I just love it, man. Yeah, it doesn't get old when you hear a song for the 11th time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think I I love putting my heart into the music. And, you know, you played Soul and Body, and it's like, I I haven't listened to that song in so long. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I think it's... I'm really proud of us as artists and, you know, myself as well. But just being able to uh, create something that lasts forever, I think that's that's the goal. There's a lot of celestial imagery in Kid Astronaut's music. Uh, Your debut release was Moon Theory, and this year you released the full album Full Moon, Mm -hmm. which has a song called Party on the Moon. I want to have a party on the moon. Yeah. You're a student of astrology and the tarot. Yep. Which I imagine inspires a lot of the lunar imagery. Yep. How does that practice make its way into kid astronaut? And I don't mean just the music, but maybe how you approach performing or touring yeah uh, it was actually on warp tour um that i did yoga for the first time um and that completely changed my perspective i was dealing with um seeing these other bands who had these huge crowds um and i texted one of my friends about it and he was like man that's like gluttony like you'll never be satisfied you'll never be happy you're always going to be searching like you're on the biggest tour of your life and you're miserable you know Mm. um so after doing yoga and finding this like inner peace and this inner journey that i could step on it was then that i decided like i wanted to take on the mantle of kid astronaut and figure out what that meant the inward search you know And it strikes me that the record business is so measured. You know, how many have you sold? How many records have you sold? How many tickets have you sold? Is this album number one? What's your view count on YouTube? 
Right. It's in the face of all of that that you have to not become obsessed with the numbers. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a very important um, and, and very important for me because I wasn't really interested in that, but I know that that's something that I want, you know. Mm. But on the journey towards that, how can I be okay? And how can you enjoy it? And, and enjoy it most of all because it, it does – it can get draining if you're, if you're not able to find that stability. This journey leads you next to London. Why did you do you have to move to London? Um, you have quite a following here. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's great. Um, I definitely hope that continues to grow. Um, when I released Full Moon, I said I wanted to to reach Denver and kind of do its thing. Um, but just as me as the artist, I think I'm ready to be inspired by a new atmosphere. And I've also seen Kid Astronaut as an international brand. Like I want to be a worldwide known artist. Um, so this leap feels right. It's been nice to meet you. Thanks so much for your time and your music. Thank you. Kid Astronaut performs December 12th at Denver's Globe Hall, something of a swan song, before he heads off to the UK. That's Colorado Matters for today. Thanks so much for spending time with us, and special thanks to Daniel Mesher. I'm Ryan Warner at CPR News.